the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Freeman. Thank you so much for tuning in. In this half hour of the show, we will be featuring a rebroadcast of Rabbi Borah Cohen, wrote a book called Thinking Outside the Locks. Great book, great interview. Second half hour of the show, we'll be featuring in some insights into the portion of the week, which is Vayakel. And that's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 35. And furthering, we'll also be talking about the story of Purim, which is coming up on March the 23rd. We've got wonderful Jewish music throughout the show, a dynamite Hasidic story all the way at the end. So let's go right to Baruch Cohen. How are you today, Baruch (laughs) <laughs> thank God. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank God. Thank you for asking. Uh, happy Hanukkah to you and to all of the listeners. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, I really like this book that you've written, Think Outside the Locks. Thank you. Like, like with everything else, the first question I usually ask authors is, what made you feel that this book was necessary to be published? We've got, you know, thank God there's like oh, close to a million books on Judaism out there now. And, right. And what do we need one more for? That is a great uh, question. Um Two things. The first is the main one. Uh, the second was sort of the push it over the edge. Um, these were essays written uh, while I was working in what the people call outreach, 
trying to um, connect an assimilated audience, um, um, maybe even an alienated audience, um, trying to connect spirituality of Torah and Judaism. So the essays were written with that in mind to break down stereotypes, to put it in a, I'll call it a more modern language, um, without losing any of the essence and any of the inspiration. Um, so that was part one. Then part two was uh, we subsequently moved to Oak Park, which is a more orthodox, quote-unquote, neighborhood. Um, and my son suggested printing out one of the essays. I had compiled them all together. They were originally written as weekly emails or a blog. Um, I had compiled them into one giant 300-page document, and my son suggested printing one out for the local shul, which I started doing. And to my pleasant surprise, the uh, people here also loved them. So I said, well, if this audience over here loves it, and this audience over there loves it, and they're very r radically different audiences in terms of um, education, perspective, backgrounds, whatever, um, there may be something here that, uh, that makes this writing different and unique. So that was, that was really the... I'll call it rationale, though that's not quite the right word. Yeah, the push over the edge was that my father passed away just about a year ago. We're coming to his first short site. And um, at that point, I was already starting to look for publishers, but that was like, all right, now I want to dedicate this to my father because so much of what he gave me is in the book. Um, and uh, so that's... That's that. It's, it's different in that it's creative essays, even though it's organized somewhat according to the Jewish Torah reading cycle and calendar year. Um, they're really self-standing, as far as I'm concerned, uh, essays. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, now, so my, my Bubby of Blessed Memory would refer to Jews that were, I suppose you could call the official title or whatever the uh, sociological title would be, cultural Jews. She called them lox and bagel Jews, that they didn't do anything. But Sunday morning, they all went down to the bagel place and they bought a half a dozen bagels and a half, right. a, pound, a, half a pound of Nova and some cream cheese. And that was, that was their Judaism. Was that the impetus behind your title, Think Outside the Box? <laughs> Um, not exact. I mean, bagels and locks, obviously, not necessarily this the crowd of of uh, Sunday morning uh, bagel and locks eaters. Okay, so uh, explain the title then for us, please, Baruch. The title actually came to my. Well, the title is somewhat obvious in terms of the connection of the pun. Um, I originally used it for a brochure. Uh, pro programming brochure at one point. Um, quickly uh, checked to see if it was in use. Uh, uh, there was some, somebody made a t-shirt with this title on it, but uh, that was it. So it pretty much seemed to be an open phrase, in other words, available for use. So that that's where it got into my head. And then when I started to print out these weekly 
essays for the local school. So I put on top of that piece of paper, think outside the lock. Uh, conceptually, it has to do with your first question, which is that this book is different. In other words, it's, it's not um, it's not like much of what you'll find on the bookshelves of the English sections of the Jewish bookstores. Um, I have a background in writing. I have a background in watching David Letterman, Johnny Carson. Um, I was heading to graduate school for creative writing when I uh, decided instead to go to yeshiva. Um, so it, there's a lot of uniqueness to it. I would say the style is unique. Um, there's a lot of like uh, quirky references, cultural references, which led to many humorous exchanges with the publisher and editors. Um, uh, there's humor in it. Uh, there's I would. Uh, there's a lot of Jewish spiritual thought in there, um, and in that way, uh, as you know from Torah, gives us a, a lot of good understanding of psychology of how to be a better person, how to grow, how to do the right things, and so. Um, how to be happy. Um, so this is all part of it. Okay, thank you. Our guest today is Rabbi Baruch Cohen. He has written a book called Think Outside the Locks, A Fresh Perspective on Jewish Teachings and Traditions. It is published by Mosaic Press. Okay, so tell us, uh, how much do you think your your background, having been raised in a non-religious environment, I'm assuming you were raised in a non-religious environment, had yeah. in the way your outlook in and approaching these essays is, I didn't count how many of the essays there are. They're short. They're about a page, page and a half each. And there's probably at least 50. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, how did how did your, your background uh, affect how you approached the subject matter for all these essays, Boris Cohen? Um, completely. <laughs> Actually, as I was writing it, uh, not writing, excuse me, as I was editing, putting it, organizing, and thinking about my father, uh, uh, there was a lot of this activity that took place shortly after he passed. I realized how much of uh, what he had invested in me um, and, and, and the different, um, different um, tours I went on uh, during life. Um, different stages uh, all actually kind of came to a fruition, although I hesitate to use that word because I'm, I'm hoping there may be another book one day, um, but uh, came to fruition here. So um, the understanding of what it means to, mm, to, not know what Torah really is, and this could apply to anybody, uh, not just somebody who didn't get a yeshiva education. Sometimes you can have a yeshiva education and in some cases miss some of the point of what Torah is. Um, so this ability to sort of uh, 
see it from the outside and and know it questions lack of understanding I had um, what turned me off or made me think um, gave me misconceptions um, so in a way I was able to address those things and I felt I had an understanding of the potential reader uh, who who may not have had much exposure or again even if they had a a quantity of exposure uh, wasn't necessarily exposure to the, the, the soulfulness of Thora. In addition to that, there's the whole writing part. I mean, um, I was thinking to myself, if he asked me what's this book about, like, what am I going to answer? But so I, I'm, I'm, people don't know me out there. So I have to preface and say, I, I'm not saying this as a self, a congratulatory thing, but the book is entertaining, and people enjoy it very much. Uh, <coughs> people have been sending us some feedbacks, uh, us being the other members of the family who are on social media, which is not me, um, photos of the book in bookstores or photos of them reading the book with a cup of coffee and saying already in the acknowledge, acknowledgments page they've already had a couple of chuckles. Uh, so um, I didn't hold back in terms of if I need to re- refer to a cultural reference as an illustration to uh, s- sneak in a line from a pop song or a scene from a movie to help illustrate the spirituality. Again, not not to uh, wasn't doing movie reviews, but it was it all was woven into the conversation of the particular essay. and so and then the writing the the fact that I had spent almost thirty years pursuing i shouldn't say that when I was a young adult up to the age of about twenty eight um I was pursuing a writing career and therefore um, therefore developed a Understanding of writing, I'm not sure I want to call it a talent, but uh, but um, so yeah, so so in a way that is what makes the book outside the loss. The fact that my background is such, and then combining that with it, I went into a outreach career, and I don't like that term, but that's the catch-all phrase, the the one word that uh, I think people understand what you're saying. Um, in other words, Jewish education to areas where there wasn't much Jewish education happening. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Okay, good. Okay, so you mentioned before that your father had a big influence and much of the material is because of your father's influence. Could you explain how that was? Because after all, you're a Hasidic rabbi and your father wasn't. <laughs> Right. Well, the um, I included some of the values that he taught us. Um, he was a person of integrity, a person who taught us there's a, such a there's a difference between right and wrong. Um, but uh, more specifically here, uh, first of all, he used the word investment as opposed to influence. Influence-wise, he literally 
taught us how to have a sense of humor, how to see life through that lens of how to laugh at oneself, which, if you think about it, is really the flip side of the concept of humility, which is so fundamental to to uh, Jewish learning and Jewish spirituality. Um, but he invested in us, us being my two brothers and I. So educationally, whatever we were pursuing, he he backed us. He supported it. If we if we wanted to do it and we thought it would make us happy, he he fully invested in that, and that's financially a, um, but also by being dad, you know. So um, he was the one who uh, sponsored. My college education, um, they sponsored my chief education also. So, um, so it was that, uh, I'll call it even luxury, to go to a liberal arts college, if that word still exists, liberal arts. Um, and thereafter to pursue a writing career and to go to a, to a fiction writing um, a graduate program, which I again I did not finish. I I dropped out to go to Yeshiva, but that's the kind of investment I'm talking about um, in the education and uh, a certain menschlichkeit that he sort of represented himself, integrity, and uh, and he had a great sense of humor. Um, and um, and when a parent passes, a person begins to realize how much of that, of who they are, is because of who the parents are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's... I hear you have a... I can hear that you have a tremendous respect and uh, for, your, for your dad of blessed memory. It's coming through. Yeah, and it's only grown, only grown over time. Okay, so now there's there's some books that it's kind of easy. You can just you know what to do with it. Like if it's like <laughs> a long chapter book, you just sit down and you read each chapter one after the other. If it's a book about the portion of the week, so every week you read another little piece. Your book, again, being outside the box, quite literally, doesn't fit into either mold. So how are you expecting people to approach reading Think outside the box. Do you want people to just sit down and read the whole thing all at once? Do you want people to, like, put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up? What What was your idea when you put it together? This is a great question because the, how to organize it was a huge issue at the beginning when I first had to play around. Um, it, it could have been organized according to topic. It could have been organized according to, let's call it character traits. Uh, marriage or kindness that have been organized according to Abraham, uh, Moshe. Uh, um, I ultimately decided that, the, pardon the expression, five books of Moses was the best way. And then the ones that didn't quite fit into that uh, are in a, a, a sixth section called uh, Good Times, something like that. Um, 
Back to the book, it says that they can be read on their own or according to the weekly readings and daily holidays. Now, honestly, I have a funny feeling that people are going to pick it up and just start and just read, keep going. That's really what uh, my sense in the early going and my sense of even myself just picking it up. Um. Um, to no, somebody who's reading the Torah, the weekly reading, wants to know, wants to read an essay on that, has to do a little bit of detective work, uh, because I did not indicate um, which Torah reading it goes with. But just for example, we recently had uh, Yaakov last week sending out his Malachim, his <coughs> angels, Ahead of him to greet his brother, so there's an essay called An Army of Angels. Um, yeah, Hanukkah is easier. It's called Special Times, the last section. And you're reading along, and his happy days are here again. There's an essay, Dancing in Circles. What you see is what you get. And that doesn't sound like Hanukkah yet. Jewish junkie. And that doesn't sound like Hanukkah. The inner candle. The inner candle oh, that looks like Hanukkah, maybe. The other miraculous fire. Plato's menorah, that's, that gotta be, that's definitely got to be hot. So, um, so it can be done. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I maybe, my, my son was talking to me about this. Why didn't you just put Harsha's, the name of the Torah reading by the, but you know what, it's, the thing with essays is the more clutter it has, the, the, it, 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 the clutter clutters up the writing. So I, I minimized, I minimized. But if somebody is following the Torah reading, I think with um, a little bit of uh, imagination and just uh, once they find the Parsha, then it pretty much goes along. The other thing is it's easy to write. You know, you can have like four essays on, on Abraham, and then you hit like uh, all the sacrifices and offerings in Vaikra, and it's like, well, well, wait a minute. There's far uh, essays available for for that book, for that section of the Torah. So um, things are spread out a little bit in that way. So yeah, yeah, it's a great question. The uh, the, the the answer is, I think either way works. Okay. They, they are meant to be standalone. They, they do reference generally the hook, or uh, as they called it in the newspaper business, the lead um, will have something to do with a given Torah reading or Torah personality or holiday. Okay. Our guest again today is Rabbi Baruch Cohen, who has written a book called Think Outside the Locks, A Fresh Perspective on Jewish Teachings and Traditions, published by... Mosaic Press. I have a, a question. This is this is really ph- philosophical and may turn the conversation like totally like ninety degrees from where we've been up to now. That was my major, by the way. Philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Good. So this is philosophy of writing. Okay. So uh, everybody who uh, was uh, not raised in a religious home remembers the Dick Van Dyke show. I'm sure you remember the Dick Van Dyke show. Yes, I do. Okay, so I saw a an interview with Dick Van Dyke, and he he commented 
We didn't put in any cultural references because we wanted the show to be funny to people that were be, like, say, later on, that might not appreciate a cultural reference, meaning some kind of current event or some kind of uh, specific song that somebody, say, 20 or 30 years later, and then those were written, uh, those are early 60s, and they're still very funny. I'm wondering, when you talk about cultural references, did you think that maybe that in, like, say, two or three generations, maybe 10 years or so, that you'll people will be reading this and say, I think I have to ask my grandfather what this is talking about, or what is what is this? I don't recognize this. Another great question. These are all the issues that came up uh, as I was going through this. Not only are these references not relevant I shouldn't say that. Not all these references not to current cultural things. The, my cultural um, observing observing of culture, being involved, whatever, uh, ended in the mid to late 80s. When I went to Yeshiva, I stopped following. I don't think I missed anything, by the way, but I stopped following anything. So all the references not only... After about 30, 30 years from today, is they're already we're already thirty years past my cultural references. So, um, by the way, you mentioned the publish the publisher mosaic is unbelievable, unbelievable. The design they did, the editing they did, but they also do a thorough they do a thorough editing, which is why I wanted to use them and was thrilled when they accepted the manuscript. They, uh, the first round was, uh, I forget what they call it, a content edit, they call it. And I can't tell you how many times he had put dated reference, dated reference, dated reference. Okay, so that's now what? So first of all, there's, there's Google. So anybody who's really interested can just Google something. Second of all, experience was in putting them out in shul here that the people that really liked them ranged from a 25-year-old guy learning in a Hasidic kolel, a guy who was, grew up Hasidic, he would, and maybe come over to me and say, what does this mean? But, was, but it didn't diminish at all from what he got in the essay. Another big supporter in terms of encouragement um, is a 40-something uh, venture capitalist, or venture investor, whatever they call that. Um, very successful, very successful person. Uh, and he didn't know these references, and it did not diminish in the least his enjoyment uh, of, the, of the writing. So that convinced me that it really didn't matter. And then there's the... Uh, that's... The other part of it is the references are used in a way either that they just kind of sneak in and no, you don't notice exactly, um, or they're minimum. They just less a little bump on the road, you know, not even like a Michigan pothole, the less of a bump. Um, and then there's people who are a little older who might recognize the references, um, and for them it'll just be uh, more fun. Cool. So I my, I have found that they have your hundred percent question is a hundred percent a good question and was all part of what went into hammering this into shape 
to get it into book form. Um, and I could only go with my sense and what people were telling me and what I was seeing. And um, I actually thought in my head, I didn't actually say this to them, but uh, I was going to say to the editors that you should see all the references you missed because they, they, <laughs> questioned, they, they questioned the propriety of some of the... Uh, or the appropriateness of some of the, not that it's totally clean book, don't get the wrong idea. But like I mentioned GQ magazine, and I don't know, there was some problem with that. I don't know why. Um, but uh, so, yeah. So gotcha. no, 30 years from now, who knows? But uh, I don't know if anybody will know what a book is at that point. But... We'll worry about it then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it. Our guest today has been Rabbi Borah. Cohen has written a book, Think Outside, the Locks, a fresh perspective on Jewish teaching and traditions by Mosaica Press. We actually, we're going to have Jewish Ferndale. We're going to have a bagel and locks brunch on January the 7th at 11 a.m. And Rabbi Cohen will be reading selections and discussing and doing a book signing. So you can sign up for that at the uh, Jewish Ferndale website, which is www jewishferndale.com coincidentally enough we didn't post it yet because we just came up with this last night and everybody just said wouldn't it be a good idea and everybody said yeah it'd be a good idea so it's out there we've put it out into the universe and it will uh it'll be and i'm just noticing now i'm running my hands over the cover and i'm noticing that the sesame bagel is texturized on oh, the that's cover. right <laughs> Yes, right. You've got the sesame seeds there. Okay, good. Thank you so much for coming on. We wish you continued Thank success. Thank you. With I really appreciate it. Really, really, really. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Don't go away. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. That was lots of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it as much more than I did, or as much as I did. I liked it a lot. For your listening pleasure, this is brand new. This is Yako Shweki. No, stranger to the Jewish music world. The piece is called Tainly et Hakoach. Give me the strength. Zikaron, 
epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Hey, Shulfenman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This piece is actually quite interesting. It's it's a nice piece. It's a... um, it's a klezmer piece, technically, because they're using klezmer music, klezmer instruments, and klezmer progressions. But it's kind of offbeat. I like it. The group is called Sampo Lasila, and they're from Finland. 
And the piece is called In Strange Lands, which I'm glad that's in English because I wouldn't even begin to know how to even pronounce that if it was in Finnish. Let's listen. Strange Lands by the Finnish group Sampo Lasila. I hope you enjoyed it. Up next, a little easier to say, the group is is called Camles Asu, which is French, and the featured singer is Maya Rosenbaum, and it's just called the Freilich Sessions. It's for him. Let's be happy. <laughs> Thank you. 
assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Vayakhel. It can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 25 and further. It is, for the most part, a rerun of the portion of Tetzave, which we read three weeks ago, and discusses the actual making of the sanctuary. At the beginning of the portion, which is why the portion is called Vayakhel, Vayakhel means and he gathered together. Moses gathered together all the people, not to tell them about the making of the sanctuary, but rather to tell them about keeping the Sabbath, keeping the Shabbos, because the Shabbos does not desecrate the temple, and the temple doesn't desecrate the Shabbos, meaning to say that we keep the Shabbos because, or what determines keeping the Shabbos, is determined by what they used to do in the temple. If they did it in the temple, we don't do it on a Shabbos. And there's 39 different categories of work that they did in the temple. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that because that's not the point I want to make. The point is, is that he gathered everybody together by Yakhel. We have been discussing this whole year a thesis of the Shalah HaKodesh, who passed away in the 1698, who maintained that if there is a holiday, it has connections with the portion of the week. So coming up is the holiday of Purim. Purim, of course, celebrates the Jews' victory over the anti-Semites that tried to wipe them out in about 24. 300 years ago in what was then called Persia, which is now called Iran. And indeed, the protagonists, Mordechai and Esther, are indeed still buried in, still, they were buried in Iran, in Persia, in the city of Shushan, which is now called Susa. And if you happen to have a non-American passport, you can go visit the place and pray at the graves of Mordechai and Esther, as do the people of the city of Susa. Mordechai also gathered together the people as when it came that Esther had to go in request of the king to nullify the, the decree. Esther said, Go and gather together, gather together the Jews of Pur of Shushan. And rededicate yourselves to God. That was the, the, the cry there. So there's a general rule that when we have similar words in the Bible, they must have some sort of similar meaning, even though they may be used in different contexts. So just like it is in the book of Esther, when it says the word Vayakhel means gather together all the people for the purpose of rededicating themselves to Hashem, so too also, when the Jews gathered together, were gathered together by Moshe in the desert, it was for what purpose? For the purpose of gathering together for dedicating themselves to Hashem.
So you see a straight, this is, that, that was an easy one. The question now is, what do we do with that information? Well, it is the portion of Ayakil this week. Purim is coming up. It's the portion of Shkalim, which is already, we're thinking Pesach, but I'm going to go into that. And it's a time when we have to gather, gather ourselves. Not necessarily you have to go out and gather people. You can gather within yourself. Meaning together, get yourself together. That's the expression, or get your act together. You know whatever the colloquialism is. That's what we're trying to do now, because what happened in both instances with the erection of the sanctuary in the desert and the story of Purim is the Jews established a tremendous relationship with the Almighty and were taken up to the next level, which with us, the next level is going to be the Messianic era. That's what we need to do. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Here's Schultzman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. If you would like to get in touch with me, the way to do that is go to my website, rabbifinman.com. And there you'll be able to contact me. You'll be able to see other things that we're doing here and uh, on that that we do, the archived editions of the radio show, etc. And it's a new month. It's March. We have to pay the piper. So we are out there again. We do this every month. We want you to go to the donations page. We would like you to pick a number, any number. There's lots of numbers already. Tabulated makes it life easier. You can make it a monthly donation. Everything is just so easy. We make it so easy for you folks. And you'll be keeping this podcast, which is going into 30 years now. Keep it going. We've always relied on listener support. And we always been month to month. Last month, we actually didn't have an appeal for most of the month because we make this pledge that if the month is paid off, then we don't have to, we don't do a, a, a drive. We don't, we don't ask for money. So, and then you get to have a longer story. So, would you like a longer story? Or would you like to hear me ask for you to go to the website at rabbifinman.com and click on the donations page? And, of course, you'll be sponsoring or helping with all the other projects which are involved with this umbrella organization of uh, the Jewish Hours, one part of the deal, and keeping us all afloat. And your donation is greatly appreciated. Make it $5 a month monthly if you could. Make it $100 a month once. It's all good. 
And uh, you might want to go to the Jewish Ferndale website. This week is the last week for the Jewish Ferndale raffle. First prize is $100,000. And you can see what the cost of tickets over there at the website. That's jewishferndale.com. And we'll also shortly be posting our event for Purim, which will be March the 23rd and the evening. And the big thing we're doing is March the 24th. We'll be reading the Megillah at 5.30, followed by dinner, followed by a concert of jazz, klezmer, xylophone player, Laurie Blank, accompanied by pianist uh, Marty Mandelbaum. And uh, details will be followed. You can go over there. You can reserve. You can pay. It's all good. We have a story. The story took place in Poland near Ukraine, okay, or probably right now. It's probably Ukraine near Poland because the border will flip back and forth so many times. So it was in the uh, the estates of the Yupinskis. So there was a person who, a big tzaddik, who was a a, a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. His name was Leib Saras, which means his mother was Sarah, which Leib, oh, Sarah's Leib. That's the, you know, the whole story why he took the last name Sarah's, and that's another story. So he's in the city of Berdichev, and somebody by the name of Binyamin Kobrin or Kobrini or Kobrinsky or whatever this he was in the city of Kobrin came up to him and said we have a big problem it says the old count our village is owned by the, by a by a count count Yupinski and the old man he gave us everything rent free now his son his son is a tyrant and he's demanding not only we start paying rent, but he wants all the rent that wasn't collected the whole time that his father didn't collect rent with interest. Or he's going to kick us out, leaving us with nothing but the clothes on our back. So he said, I'll uh, see what I can do. So Leib Sarah shows up at the palace, probably like a manor house more than a palace, of this Count Yupinski. And is ushered in and says, listen, it's not fair. Your father never charged anything for it. You should also not charge anything. And if you don't charge, then the Jews will pray for you for success for your behalf for the rest of your life. And this young man quite arrogantly said, I don't need their Jews' prayer. I need their money. And if they're not going to give me their money, I'm going to take it. So the... The uh, Leib Sarah says it's not going to it's not going to be good for you if you do this. And he said, "Listen, this is the count said to him. Listen, I can make you a deal. I'll forgive the debt, but there's a bunch of us that are trying to to uh, form an uprising against the Russian government. No, uh, not unusual that in Ukraine they should be trying to go against the Russian government. And if the Jews will help us, I'll cancel the debt." So Leib Sarah said. No. Jews have an obligation to support the country that is hosting them. We will not engage in any insurrection. Do you hear this? Jews cannot engage in any insurrection. So the count started screaming at him, and he said, it's not going to forebode well for you. And he left. So the Leib Saras went to this Benjamin of Cobrin and told him, that he should spend, gather together provisions, go into the woods, follow this tree, go over there, give him whole directions, and in the forest you'll find an old brewmaker and his wife. 
and you'll spend Shabbos there. You bring your own food because they're poor. So this is what happened. He found this old this old dude, and uh, it was a very very uh, enlightening Shabbos. The every time the uh, this Binyamin wanted to talk about something, the the uh, the broom maker, the old man would kind of like push him off. It's Shabbos. Everything's good. Don't worry. We're enjoying the Shabbos. This man had this very lovely Shabbos. In the middle of the night, he woke up and he heard this like singing like it was coming from the Garden of Eden. And he realized that this broom maker is not just a broom maker. This is a holy dude. After Shabbos was over, the broom maker told, the, told Binyamin, don't worry, Yupinski is nothing to worry about. You can go home, everything will be fine. What happened? The, a letter was intercepted in which this young count, stupid guy, writes down in a letter to somebody else that the Jews refused to join the rebellion. The Russian government got a hold of this letter, and they sent a garrison, and they arrested the, the young count, and the king, as a reward for not joining, refusing to join the rebellion, gave the land of Count Yupinsky to the Jewish community. And they all lived, as the question goes, happily ever after, except, of course, for the young Count Yupinsky, which is why there was no next young Count Yupinsky. That's going to do it for the show today. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.